Our scripture today is Galatians 4, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as, you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. That is all. It's not a long message today. Um, but I started writing and gathering thoughts on this passage. Um, and I, I think that there is uh, some really sort of, I don't want to say deep thoughts because it sounds really super dumb and cheesy, but deep thoughts with Tommy Phillips. Um, but sort of, uh, there, there's some things here that sort of show us how people change. Um, and so this morning we're going to talk about how to speak to those people who need to change, um, how to listen to people who are telling you about the things in your life that need to change. Uh, maybe you have a propensity to just get offended whenever people tell you, hey, you have some problems here you need to work on, and you just get really offended by it. Um, first off, that's a sign that you need to change. Um, but So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about how, to, um, how people really are influenced. Um, is it, what is it? is it? Is it your words? Is it, or is it you? Is it your life? Is it the life that you're living? Um, and so uh, we're going to break this into, into two sort of halves. We're going to talk about, um, so eh, where are we going to break it up at? Um, so the, the first line here is going to be part A. Second line is going to be part B. Not even going to do. So I wrote an entire sermon on ha- not, even, not even one verse, like half of one verse. So here we go. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage. Let's do it. Father, we love you. We thank you for gathering us together here. Allow us right now to be present, to be able to hear you. Um, let us have clear minds um, because there are things that will come to our mind that we need to change, that we need to work on. There will, think, there will be things that uh, we have been trying to escape thinking about, things that um, we've been carrying around for a while, and maybe things that we've wanted to address and we couldn't, we didn't know how. And so give us a picture of how your gospel works. Give us a picture of how change works in the, in the hearts and the minds of people. Um, wake us up to, to grace and the work that grace does in our lives. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Okay, so uh, um, I'm going to start right here. Oh, no, I'm not going to start there. You know what? Man, I'm a little off. We're okay. Um, I'm going to start in the first half, so I'm going to read this one more time. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. So there's a conversation that, that on some level every one of us needs to have with at least one person in our lives. Um, there are people in our lives who we know are on a, on a path that they ought not be on. Um, there, are, there are people in our lives who maybe we used to be in a relationship with and that has fallen apart for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they have believed something about you that you know not to be true. Um, maybe they have just gone a different direction and, and they can't no longer be around you because of, of, of the opposite sort of views that you have. Um, this is a, a conversation that really each of us can have with somebody. Um, if you are, and, and it's, it's all walks of life. If you are a spiritual leader in some sense, maybe you're, you're, a, you're a pastor, you're a house church leader, you're a mentor, um, a teacher, um, this, this is definitely for you how Paul addresses these people. They had things that they need to change, and there's a way that he is addressing them. Um, if you're a parent, you're a friend, you're a brother, you're a sister, um, and like a loving family member, there is someone that the rest of the family knows is sort of not where they should be. 
and it's something you talk about with each other and you sort of passive-aggressively address with them, but not really. Um, if you have parents, maybe, maybe you're in a position where you were, raised, you were raised by your parents, but now you kind of feel like you are raising them. Like they are making decisions that are detrimental to their own future. Um, Maybe you know someone who has some struggles and you're trying to guide them out of it. Maybe there was someone who you were once close to and now things have fallen apart and and something is missing and you want them back in your life. If you want to win somebody back, um, what Paul is saying here and what he's doing is applicable to you and to your situation and to your relationship. Um, At the heart of the gospel is the reconciliation between God and us and each other. Reconciliation of ourselves to God and ourselves with each other. That is... um, of paramount importance is how we interact with each other. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. So Paul's made several arguments. He's, um, he's so far, um, he's talking to these people who were in this pagan religion and they came out of it and they became followers of Jesus and now they're, they're going into Judaism, um, but a specific kind of Judaism that is just all about laws and trying to win the favor of God. Um, and, and they really want to impress these people. And Paul has gone to them and he says... Um, he's made several different arguments about why they should not be involved in this. He says, first off, he makes this theological argument. He says, is this really what, what you think that God really wants? Um, is this really how you think God is, who you think God is, and how he works? Um, is this really what God wants of you? Is this how God looks at you? Um, valid question. I imagine a lot of you have had these kind of debates around the Thanksgiving table. Is, this, is that really how you think God looks at you? Um, and, then, and then he has another argument, the intellectual argument. Um, does it make any sense to join up with this expired religion, the intellectual argument? Does what you're doing make any sense at all? Show me how it makes sense. Show me how it fits in with the rest of your life. Does it make sense? Um, and then he makes sort of this psychological argument a little later. Um, is this a healthy way to live? Um, is this going to bring you any kind of joy? Is, is what you are doing, does it lead somewhere good? Or is this a path towards the opposite of the kingdom of God? Towards the opposite of what God wants in your life? And so he's made sort of all these arguments. Um, and what do you do after you make all these arguments? W- what, other, what other way can you approach this? Well, you approach it from the emotional argument, and that's what Paul does here. Um, he writes to them, and he says, hey... We were once like this. Do you remember? It was good. We were, we were close. We were of one mind. And now things are here. And I don't know why you went down this path. And so there's a way that he wants to argue with them and pull them back in. Um, and, and so the way he does it is, is two things. The first thing that he does, he's, he says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you. Um, the word there be, means basically picture being on your knees begging and crying out. Um, I entreat you, become as I am. So he says, um, I, I want you, of all these arguments that I've made, the thing I want most is for you right now to become as I am. Now that sounds like a very arrogant sort of prideful thing to say. You should really be more like me. Um, but that's not how the verse should really best be interpreted. Um, some different versions are going are to put it differently, but there's Several different things wrapped up in a phrase like this in the Greek. It, uh, it means put yourself in my shoes. It's a call to empathy. Um, it means imagine what it must be like to be me. Look where I am. Um, 
And, and this is sort of, he, he's, he's opening his life up to be inspected, for them to sort of stand, look out through his eyes, and get into his mindset and say, okay, what would it be like to be Paul? To be where he is. I'm here, and he's there, and he's saying that I need to change. I need to move in this direction that he is in. What would that be like? And he's calling them to use their imagination, get into his heart, his life, his mindset, look through his eyes, feel what he feels. Um, and he wants them to poke and prod and imagine the freedom that, that he must have that they don't have. So this is the equivalent of, of sort of the arguments that people make about debt. I, I've, I've heard people talk like this many, many times. Maybe, uh, so maybe one person has no debt at all and this other person has tons and tons of debt and every paycheck they get goes to 20 different bankers. And, and they've, they, it looks like they live really good. They've got a great house, great car, several of them, um, nice stuff. And it's, it's, it, on the outside, it looks like, wow, they've got it together. But on the inside, they're panicking and they can't even sleep at night. And then, there's, and then there's someone else who doesn't look like they have much, but the fact is they're debt-free and they sleep really good. And they, can really, they get a paycheck and they can do whatever they want. And they just choose not to live a certain way. Um, and this person has been talking to this person and saying, hey, um, maybe he's used all the, ar- ar- all, the, all the arguments that Paul has used. Theologically, does this make any sense? Is this what God wants you to do? I mean, is this what we're living for? Is this what God wants of you? And then, and then he moves into sort of an intellectual argument. Um, I want to show you why what you're doing will, will actually end up in, in causing you to be in poverty. So let's use some intellectual arguments here. Let's look at some markets. Let's look at what happens when you borrow a bunch of money and you pay a bunch of in interest. Um, and, and then uh, there's this psychological argument. It, are you at peace at all? You buy all this nice stuff so that you can be peaceful and comfortable. Are you comfortable? Do you feel healthy? And in the end of it, none of these arguments tend to work. You can point out people's flaws all day long. That doesn't really bring them to change. And then the last argument you have left is actually the most effective. You paint a picture of what it would be like to just be in your shoes. You say, hey, uh, I I want you to get into my mindset for a second. Um the money that I receive is mine to give away as I see fit. The money that you receive is not yours. You receive it and you have to give it away to these preset people every single week. What if you were free of that? What if you could do whatever you wanted? What if, what if you could make decisions and, and, and change people's lives and, and just not have to worry about this stack of papers that are coming in demanding your money? Wouldn't you sleep better? Wouldn't you feel more free what would it be like? I want you to put yourself in my shoes because I've been where you are and I want you to be where I am. And so this is sort of the argument. You can use this on a, on a million different levels with a million different things. And this is sort of what Paul is doing. Um, so he's basically saying, become as I am, feel what it feels like to be me because I've been where you are and I know the feelings that you are under. And I want to tell you, I'm on the other end. It feels totally different. Imagine what it would be like. So uh, most of us have two different kinds of people in our lives. Stick figure people. Um, so this would be you and this would be somebody in your life who is uh, sort of looking at you saying, hey, there's some things you need to work on. We all have someone in our life who, who, who thinks we need to change. Oftentimes they're right, um, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, there are people in your life, I guarantee you, every one of you has someone in your life, whether it's um, a parent, a spouse, Maybe it's a child of yours. Maybe it's um, a spiritual leader. Whoever's in your life, 
Um, they're looking at you and they're saying, you can do better. There is a better way to live than the way you're living right now. Um, and they're speaking into your life. And, and so you have one of two reactions. You can either listen to them or you can ignore them. Um, and, and one of the reasons you would ignore them is oftentimes because you just get completely offended by the fact that they would ever point out a flaw in your life because heaven forbid anyone ever point out a flaw in your life. Um, this basically, if you're getting offended all the time when people are telling you you're doing something wrong, it means that you're not self-aware. It means that you don't understand how people look at you. It means that you, you, you are not free enough and comfortable enough with yourself to ask a friend and say, hey, I want you to tell me exactly who I am. How, you, how do you see me? I want you to name some of my flaws. Um, I know people that every couple of years, they all get together and all the guys, they meet somewhere and they, they usually meet at a bar and, and because they got to loosen up a little bit to tell the truth to each other. And then they sit and they look at each other and they say, so here's you. Um, you make every conversation about you. And they just listen and they take it in. And they say, you make every conversation about you. Um, you're very self-centered. You interrupt people a lot. You don't listen when people talk to you. And they make a point to just think about it, to not argue back. Um, not a lot of people are comfortable doing that. Not a lot of people really want to know how people view them. They have a view of themselves, this idol that they've built that they don't want knocked down. Um, this identity that they have. Um, and so you have people in your life who want you to change. You're either listening to them or you're not listening to them. Either you respect their opinion or um, you're offended by what they have to say. And there's a lot of reasons why you would respect or not respect someone's opinion. Um, and then there's another kind of person in your life. There's the person who you look at and you want to change. And, and, and you see in their life things that are unhealthy, things that maybe you used to do and now you're out of it. And you look at them and you say, man, you've, you've got to end this. Because once you end this, all these other things in your life will, will free up. And you will be f- spiritually more healthy. Um, you'll live a more holy life. You will, um, you'll be a more loving person, a more gracious person. You will establish the kingdom of God in your life more firm than it ever has been. And you will be able to establish it in the lives of others. But first, you have, to, you have to purge these things out of your life. And so one of the most profound things you need to realize is that you, if you are trying to change people and you understand people are trying to change you, um, um, if you, if you want to have an influence, if there's some people in your life that, that you want to change, is that, is that you have to understand you are the medium. What do I mean by that? Um, the, what is the medium of a sculptor? It's the clay, right? Or it's the, um, uh, of, how about the medium of like a, a stonemason, someone who makes statues, um, they're making art of some kind with stone. It's, it's the rock. Um, the, what is the medium of the painter? It's the, the paints. Um, what is the medium of the musician? It's sound put to time. And these things are things that they are using to paint a picture of maybe an idealistic world or maybe the world as they see it or maybe they are painting a picture of how things should be and how things should change or maybe they're just stating some beauty. And that's it. And so this is the medium that they're using. But when you are influencing people, what, um, what is the medium? Is it your words? Is it the things that you say? Is it your arguments? Is it, um, is it all of these ways that you have of, of, of saying, hey, should you really be doing this? Uh, you shouldn't be doing this. You should change. Um, is it the books that you've read? Is it any of this? No. Um, the fact is, 
your arguments tend not to change people very well. And there's a reason for that. Um, Although we tend to be in a culture where we assume that the arguments that we make are of paramount importance and that somehow I've stated some scientific facts and now you'll get it and now you'll change. Um, But in fact, arguments don't really change people at all. Um, A life that is well-lived, that is embraced, an identity that is embraced, um, being in control, being joyful, being at peace, that is much more effective of an argument than anything else. You are the medium. The the things that are entering into you um, and the way that you live your life and the way things pass through you, um, that is a more profound argument. So Paul invites them into his life. He says, hey, I want you to I want you to come into my eyes, my my heart, my mind. I want you to stand in my shoes. I want you to imagine yourself being me. Any information that is passing through you to other people is, is, is sort of being tinted by you and by your life. And this is really important to understand. Because if your life is unhealthy, if you are spiritually dying inside, if you are a hateful person, if you are bigoted in several different ways, if you are a judgmental person, if you are a person who is not patient and kind and loving, it changes how the message is received. If there is someone that you want to change, whom you are trying to affect, you have to understand that your life is the medium that will bring about change in their life. Um, Whatever you bring to them passes straight through you. Any change that you want to see must be alive in your own soul, evident and obvious in your own life. Um, Disciples are not pushed, they are pulled. It is ineffective to live a life that is unloving while trying to change the world into a more loving place. It is ineffective to close your ears to the plight of the suffering while wishing the world was more just than it is. Um, You are the medium. People will look at your life And if you are living in a way that is inspiring, that is lining up with what you see as good and holy, then you will change. If you really want to lead well, if you really want to affect change in the world around you, it starts with the totality of your being. For instance, you may not know this, but when pastors uh, become pastors or official clergy, they get something called ordained. And when you get ordained, when I was ordained, I'll kind of... I'll tell you how this works. Um, you sit in a room full of people, well, men, a bunch of men. Um, you sit in a room full of men, and, and they grill you with a bunch of questions, um, like, I wrote some of them down that I remember. Um, what's your view of limited atonement? Where do you stand on pedo-baptism? Um, who do you believe wrote the book of First Timothy? Was it Paul, or was it somebody else acting as Paul? What if we found a third book of Corinthians? What do we do with it? Questions like this. Because what is paramount in our society from our leaders is that they have their mind set straight, like all of the answers there, that they be able to answer every question just as it pops out with something that sounds solid and truthful. Um, But you know what they don't ask pastors when they're being ordained? They don't ask any questions about, um, tell me a time when you had to forgive somebody. 
They don't ask questions about, tell me a time when you were wrong and you had to admit and confess your sin and apologize to people and make it right. They don't say, tell me about a time when you've had to apologize to your spouse and humble yourself before them and say, I was wrong. They don't say, how do your kids look at you? How do they view you? How is your relationship with them? Um, They don't ask about a time when you realized you were racist or bigoted bigoted or, or homophobic or prideful and didn't know it and then came to the realization of it and had to repent of it openly. They don't ask you about those things. They ask you simply, do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? And what happens is we end up um, with pastors with PhDs in theology who are narcissistic, unforgiving, controlling, prideful, hiding massive sexual and monetary sins that are destroying entire communities. And this is how it also works with politicians. This is how it works with CEOs. This is how it works with all kinds of people. We think that the medium is our words and our arguments, but it's not. When people talk about Jesus, they talk about the way that he loved. They talk about the way that he died. They talk about the way that he rose. They talk about the things that he was doing while he was here. Um, But if you ask a lot of people, hey, um, tell me some of the teachings of Christ, like word for word, how they, most people can't. But they can remember ways that Jesus lived and interacted with people. They remember, well, I remember him forgiving people. I remember him, he, he healed a lot of people. I remember he spent a lot of time with, with the outcast and people who were of ill repute. Um, and the fact is, if your life is not lining up, if your life is not in a way that is, is lining up with, with the things of God and you are trying to influence other people, we can tell. Our relationships with each other are not just what we can see. Um, our, there's something deeper there. You know when somebody's lying, don't you? How? You just know. You know when somebody sort of ought not to be trusted most of the time. Um, we can tell when your marriage is not doing well. We may not put it into words. We may not say it. We may be afraid of saying it because what if we're wrong? We kind of sound like a jerk. But when you tell us that you guys are done, a lot of the time we're not shocked. We're saddened and we're surprised, but we're not shocked. We know if you are just quoting something because you read it in a book somewhere and because it fits into your argument. We know whether or not you actually believe it or you were just quoting it because someone smart said it. We know. We can tell. Relationships are not information. They're much, much deeper. 90% of communication is nonverbal. If you want to change people, your life should model the thing that you want them to have. And if you say, God is like this, and this is how things should be, but you are an unloving person, people are really not going to believe you about the things that you say about God because deep down inside, we believe God is loving. And so we don't believe you. And so there's one, more, one other thing that Paul says. He starts off with, I entreat you, become as I am. And then he says, because I also have become as you are. Now, there's a lot of meaning in this. 
Um, and there's some backstory which we're going to get to next week, but I'm going I'm to talk about the idea. So he says, I want you to put yourself in my shoes. I'm going to put myself in your shoes. Um, and he had. He had been where they are. He had been through everything that they had been through. And he speaks of his journey. Um, he's been where they are, so he can speak from both health and unhealth. Um, and, and Paul is someone who is open about his journey. I, I, I believe the more you understand the gospel, the more holy of a person you are, the more open you are. Where people can just ask you about the things in your life, about your marriage, about your finances. And you'll speak to them about it, and you'll be honest about it. I, I really believe in honesty. And I believe in transparency. I, I believe that's how people can best find hope and best change. Um, and so Paul has never shied away from being honest about who he is, honest about his past. Um, there's, there's this place in Acts 22 where he's, he goes into the synagogue and people are really mad that he's there. The Jewish leaders are really mad that he's there. And they say, this is the guy that has been, that has been driving people out of, out of the law, out of Judaism, into following Jesus. And Paul stands up in the middle of this synagogue where, where you would think, you're talking to a bunch of religious people, you would think you should influence them by saying your credentials and saying how great you are and why they should listen to you. That's not what Paul does at all. He says, my dear brothers and fathers, listen carefully to what I have to say before you jump, in, jump to conclusions about me. And when they had heard him speaking Hebrew, they grew even quieter. No one wanted to miss a word of this. And he continued, I am a good Jew, born in Tar- Tarsus, in the prophet, province of Cilicia, but educated here in Jerusalem under the exacting eye of Rabbi Gamaliel, thoroughly instructed in our religious traditions. And I've always been passionately on God's side, just as you are right now. I went, for, I went after anyone connected with this way. I went at them with a hammer and tongs, ready to kill for God. I rounded up men and women right and left and had them thrown in prison. And you can ask the chief priests or anyone in the high council to verify this. They all knew me well. And then I went off to our brothers in Damascus, armed with official documents authorizing me to hunt down the followers of Jesus and then arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem for sentencing. So he goes on and on and on about all the people that he killed, about his past, about all the things he did wrong. He tortured and killed men, women, and children simply because of their, their, their belief that Jesus was the Messiah and they should follow him. And he stands up and this is what he says. He's always open and honest about it, about his past. Now, um... So when Paul says, I became like you, not only is he saying that he's been there, he's also saying, I'm not above you. I'm not pretending that I have already arrived. I'm not acting like I've got it all together. I'm not pretending that I have this perfect past. Um, I'm not pretending that I, I could be vetted and pass. I couldn't. I'm open and honest about my struggles and my pains and my fears. I'm just like you is what he's saying. And this is something important to understand. No one is served by you hiding your struggles and pretending that you are above them and that you don't have any. No one is, especially not you. You are not served by hiding your struggles. You are not served and no one else is served when you hide um, the things that you are struggling with, the sins, the hidden sins inside of you, the ways that you are, are hateful towards different people and different things and ideas. Um, and the way you've let bitterness grow inside of you, no one is served by you hiding that. 
We hide it because we don't want to hurt people. We hide it um, because we have maybe this image. It's a bit of idolatry in there, too. We have this image we're trying to uphold. But I want you to be sure and understand no one is served when you hide this stuff. Not even you. Richard Rohr, the great Richard Rohr, says this. He says, true holiness is never self-conscious. True holiness is never self-conscious. It is honest. It's clear. Most of us um, are afraid of our past becoming known. Um, We're afraid of people bringing it up. But there's something that you need to understand about your past. A lot of us... Um, you know, what do we do when we, when, we, uh, when we elect presidents and stuff and they pick their vice presidents? What do they do? They vet them. Um, in other words, they go through their past and they look for things that look bad. And if they look bad, you can't be a leader. Apparently, to be a leader, you have to have this perfect past that everyone can look at and say, man, I wish I had lived my entire life from birth till now like they have so that I could be president or whatever. And this is how we tend to look for leaders, it's not helpful. It's not healthy. Um, it, it's an attempt to create people that actually don't exist. And here's the thing. Like sometimes, uh, so there's several people in this church who have like, um, who work for like high security, security clearance businesses, whatever. Some of you in the government, some armed forces and stuff like that. Um, and, and once in a while, I have to meet with an FBI agent in my office while they drill me about questions about your life. And it's fun. Um, and the last question they ask is really interesting. They say, is there anything in this person's past that would embarrass the U.S. government? Them embarrass the U.S. government? Like, this is a huge, embarrassment is like this massive idol that we have. We don't want to be embarrassed about our past. So here's something I want you to realize. And so I put it in writing here. When someone brings up your past, they are only doing so because they are jealous of your present and your future. That is why they are doing it. And here's how this works. You've probably done this, and you've probably had this done to you. Someone tells you about someone who is successful in something. They're influencing people. Things are going well. Um, They are doing things that you have always dreamed of doing. They're influencing people around them in ways that you always wish you could influence people. They're making a mark in this world in a way that you wish you could make a mark. And so you respond by saying, that guy... He's a jerk. In 2006, he did this. That's your response. For what they're doing now, you're super jealous, so you bring up their past. We've all done this. Um, Maybe there's, you've been a part of this and and you hear someone doing something inspiring. They have a voice. They're helping people. And then then you hear somebody say something like, hasn't that guy been divorced three times? Or didn't they go to prison for embezzlement? Or isn't that the guy or the girl who is a complete porn addict. And we slip their flaws into the public eye. Because their ability to influence people, to get past their past, and to rise above it and to do things, um, it shines a mirror in our face of things that we are unable to do. And instead of watching and paying attention to their journey and listening and moving towards them, we're offended. We're not self-aware. And nobody's calling us on our jealousy. And we just let it go. Christianity, at the heart of the message of Christianity, is exactly what Paul has been describing here. 
Um, how did God change the world? He became as we are and said, I want you to follow me and become as I am. What Paul is doing is exactly how Christ works in this world. It's exactly how the scriptures have worked in the world. The idea of incarnational living, incarnational theology, incarnational ministry, incarnational love, going to people, being open and honest, becoming like them as much as you possibly can. In other words, you hear about their struggles and their pains, and you tell them yours. And you hear about their sins, and you confess yours. And you hear about their fears, and you state yours. And you hear about their bitterness and their anger at their fellow man, and you are honest about yours. This is how this works. And in some way, if you are here to mentor them, if you are here to bring them up to where you are, which is not an arrogant thing to say, you have found health and you want them to find it. You liken yourself to them. You look at them and you say, me too. And then you say, come with me. Be like me. And when they get to your level, you're going to look up at the next person and you're going to say, how did you get there? This is discipleship. This is how this works. Jesus changed the world by becoming like us and then saying, become like me. Which is exactly why um, when you look at the church, which is the gathering of Christians everywhere, there's, there's the global church, what's called the little C Catholic, it means universal church, the universal church. Um, everyone who is a follower of Jesus worldwide, we are all members of the same church. And then there are these local expressions of church. And, and, and God has commanded that in these local expressions of the church, that the leaders in these local expressions of the church, um, that, they, that they live a certain way and that they carry their power and their ability and their influence a certain way. And here's what he says. So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he speaks to the people who are following the elders. And he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. If you can't hear things about yourself and at least ponder them for 10 seconds before you get defensive and fire back, you will never grow and never change. You must be teachable. And I love it right here where it says, it says to serve them not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Shameful gain, we tend to think that that's just money. It can be money. It can be anything else though. It can be prestige. You can... You can want to be known as a person with great influence. That's an idol. That's shameful gain. You can want to be praised. That is shameful gain. You could want to be the CEO of some big, massive organization and have people say, wow, look what you did. Shameful gain. That is not why we do what we do. That is not how we change people. That is not how you bring a group of people to health. That is not how you change that person in your life. You don't live a certain way so that they will look at you and say, man, you got it all together. And you're like, yeah, I pretty much do. That's not how it works. 
You are the medium. It passes through you, and the message becomes more or less effective based upon what it is passing through. And so if, if, if your message to someone else about how they need to change is passing through you in your sick marriage, just broken marriage, it's going to be less effective. If your message about how someone else needs to change is passing through your racism, it's not going to be effective. If your message to your children about how to love God is passing through someone who doesn't love people, it will be less effective. And see, we do this backwards. We spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of time reading books, working hard, trying to build this thing that will influence lots of people and we spend tons and tons of time on it. We end up neglecting our family, our children, our friends, our relationship with Jesus um, and we neglect these things but, but I want to ask you, if you focused on these things and if you focused on making these things healthy in your life, if you focused on being a loving person in your relationships, caring about the people around you, if you focused on being a good husband, a good wife, serving your spouse, if you focused on being a good mother and father, being present, being active in their lives, if you focused on being a good follower of Jesus and pondering the gospel regularly, meditating upon the scriptures, if you had all these things and they were lined up and they were healthy, you don't think the rest of your life would be much more effective? You don't think the rest of your work would absolutely change? You don't think you would influence ways in... in influence people in ways that you never could no matter how many hours you spent on this project you would you are the medium it will pass through you and it will be changed by your life and so the person that we follow is Jesus and so we take communion every single week and we're going to do that now if you're, uh, if you're one of our communion servers go ahead and take the uh, elements and gather around the room um, this is a time when we stop and we ponder the person who brought the message of God into this world and how they live their life. It was not for power. It was not for prestige. It was not for shameful gain. It was not lording himself over us so even though he had every right to do all of these things. It was someone who washed the feet of his disciples, who sat at the table and ruined his reputation so that he could spend time with thieves, murderers, and terrorists, and prostitutes all at the table with him. And he loved them. And now to this day, people speak about the life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection that he brought into this world, and his invitation for us to follow. And so let's spend some time and, uh, in prayer, and let's uh, try to find the ways that we have not been lining up, and think about the people that we've been trying to influence, and maybe ask why our influence has not been good. And maybe you need to go to these people, and you need to say, so some things you need to know about me. There are some things that you need to hear. I struggle with this, I struggle with this, I struggle with this. I have been exactly where you are. Here's how I came out of it. Here's how it feels now. And maybe instead of pushing, you should pull. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Bless us now. Convict us, change us, bring us to repentance. Um, Teach us to uh, humble ourselves, to not try to spend our time being high and mighty and above all others, but to enter into their story so that we can walk out of it with them. 
And the whole time, let us point to you and how you did this for us. Your death, your burial, resurrection is a, a, a gleaming light for all of us to see. Thank you. In your name, amen. Take, take communion, take some time and talk to the Lord.